CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. The holidays are over. In Washington, a new Congress is in session. And in Georgia, a new governor and a more diverse legislature is preparing to take charge. Our panel is here to predict what they think will be the big stories that will shape the political agenda in 2019. This is Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nigat. Thanks so much for being with us for Political Rewind today. As we roll in to the new year, uh, we have a lot of stories we want to talk about. We're going to get right to them. Uh, with me today, Jim Galloway, the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You read him on Wednesdays and Sundays in the uh, newspaper itself. Jim, you also oversee the political, well, it's no longer Political Insider, the it, it, online version. How do we get to it these days? Go to AJC.com. <laughs> and, and we look at politics. Yes, you see the yes. politics tab. All right, we will do just that. Uh, also joining us today, Republican strategist Jackie Cushman. Uh, among other things, you can read Jackie's columns uh, at your website, JackieCushman.com, right. right? Correct. And also, and uh, also, we see you in uh, on Medium, I think. Also, Medium. I'm on Town Hall. I'm in a variety of places. I'm everywhere. All right. That's I'm here great. right now. Yeah. I'm everywhere. <laughs> right. Dr. Andrea Gillespie. She, of course, is a professor of political science at Emory University. Back with us, and you now finally you've been talking about it for months, months, months. Your new book is about to be published in about a month and a half. Yes. Looking very excited about It's that. called? Uh, Race in the Obama Administration. Okay, we're going to talk about that more as publication date, date gets closer. And also, the Cobb County Democratic Party Chairman, Dr. Michael Owens. Michael, thank you for being here. Hey, I'm happy to be here as always. Uh, you were in Washington as the uh, new Congress was sworn in, and I think you were up there to be with uh, your new uh, representative Lucy McBath sworn in as a new Democrat in the House up there. Yeah, it was uh, definitely an exciting day getting to go up. Um, spent a lot of time with uh, the new staff that's been hired. Um, obviously, Lucy was very excited. Congresswoman uh, McBath, very excited um, to be up there with her and, and able to kind of celebrate the day and move into the new office space and uh, just get set for what's going to be exciting 116th Congress. Right, we're going to talk more about the 116th. We'll talk about Lucy McBath as we get into the show. But Jim, uh, as we come on the radio, the live radio show, um, we've got a little breaking news that you found for us. Uh, a Republican from Illinois, uh, Rodney Davis, he is the ranking member on a subcommittee that's part of the Committee on House Administration. And he sent a letter to the chairwoman of, of that committee, Marsha Fudge, saying what? Saying this is uh, <clears throat> the, uh, this is this is the elections subcommittee. Right. Uh, he wants field hearings in four states on how the 2018 uh, election was conducted uh, in federal federal races uh, in four states: uh, California, Illinois, Utah, and Georgia. Yeah. So the question is, does he know something we don't, 
or the, the other the other scenario is we've had we've had other members of, of uh, Democrats in, in in the new Congress, Elijah Cummings uh, most prominently, saying they are they they want to hold hearings on what happened in Georgia's gubernatorial race. Uh, this may be a preemptive strike here. Yeah, Elijah Cummings already said that he intends to call governor elected at the point he'll be, if he's called, Governor Kemp to Washington to talk about this. You know, it's interesting, Andrew. We were certainly, as we look at what the big stories are going to be in 2019, we'll talk about uh, how we're going to deal with some of the election issues that continue to hang over what happened in uh, 2018. And this move whatever his reasons are, suggests it's kicking off very early in the year. Well, I mean, I'm not surprised that voting rights is actually coming up as an issue. Uh, those states, um, as you were reading them, I'm trying to figure out what he as a Republican might find interesting in the results of those elections. And so particularly in Utah and in California, there were these really close elections where, particularly in certain districts, where sometimes a Democrat was up and then the Republican was up and then the Democrat ended up winning right. in some mm -hmm. of those seats. And I think that there is this issue, and it somewhat relates to North Carolina, about whether or not there was vote bundling going on in California. And so, you know, I think it's fair game to talk about those issues, but we also need to talk about other types of issues like, you know, whether or not people's uh, signatures on absentee ballots were being arbitrarily denied, um, you know, whether or not people were being actively discouraged from turning out to the polls. So, you know, so long as we're talking about sort of all of the issues that could relate to voter suppression, um, I'd say it's fair game. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we do want to talk about that as the show goes on, because I think we're going to see legislation in the Georgia uh, legislature to deal with some of those problems. But Jackie, the fact that it is a Republican who is calling for these field hearings, uh, Jim suggests maybe Republicans are trying to get out front on this issue so that it doesn't look like uh, they are somehow the guilty party in, in a lot of what's going on with elections. We don't know. We're speculating. What's your take? Well, absolutely. It's speculation. And that's why I think it's really smart to do this early Hopefully they'll do this relatively fast and, to your point, very thoroughly, right? So you need to have a thorough investigation to see what happened. Um, you know, there's a lot of discussion in the national media around all these states about what what happened, but it's all speculation. So without a thorough investigation to kind of bring everything to light, let, let it sit in the sunshine and see what happens, I think it would be good, quite honestly, for uh, not only both parties but the country at large. Michael, I, I know that there are listeners to the show who sort of uh, become irritated when we've suggested over a period of the months that the election unfolded that the national media in some ways was took an even darker view of things that were happening here in terms of the election cycle in Georgia than many local news organizations did. Uh, for instance, attributing to the Secretary of State issues which, in fact, may be accrued to the counties out there, sure. not enough voting machines, that mm -hmm. sort of thing. And we've said on the show, again, some people have been irritated by it, that we don't have a firm understanding of, of evidence that points to real manipulation to suppress the vote here. All that said, Georgia has a huge black eye in national politics right now. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately we do. And I mean, I, I travel around a good bit, and uh, it seems that no matter who I talk to, if politics comes up with a Republican or Democrat, uh, the, the Abrams-Kemp race was something that's immediately going to be discussed. Uh, and then obviously right behind that is going to be talks about uh, voter suppression, um, what types of, of, of tricks and nuances going on. But also I, I think it's 
part and partial that Georgia is actually becoming on the national stage, right? I think that we are, we have, we've probably truly evolved into a battleground state um, and one that lots of eyes are going to be on. So when you have lots of eyes, it's going to be on a, a state. Some of that's bound to happen. Now, um, obviously, there's a large call for Brian Kemp to resign, and, and that as Secretary, as, state. As Secretary yeah. of State, which you may have mentioned, you know that that some of those things may or may not be directly attributed to him. Yeah, it um, did feel like self-inflicted wounds that Kemp didn't early on make a decision to go ahead and resign. Yeah, I mean, that that's kind of like, it, you know, regardless of how much you, you're actually pulling strings behind the curtain, the, the facade is still there and the, the, you're leaving yourself open to that. Um, and, and on the other, other hand, I think from a national standpoint, the fact that Georgia is becoming play, it also falls into this national discussion about voting rights, um, about um, from a from an election security standpoint, uh, manipulation, uh, disinformation going out, you know, everything from, from Russia's involvement in, into, you know, hacking of emails and the DNC and the RNC. I think all this starts to play a role, um, mm -hmm. and it just kind of centered into Georgia because we, we had one of the hottest races in the country. Anybody want to pick up on that? I, mean, I do, but back to your point earlier, the one thing I'd like to say is I think the reason we need to have the investigations, the reason I'm very glad he called for it, is there's been a lot more speculation and guesswork than actual facts and figures. And to me, from both sides, uh, I think nationally Georgia was painted with the black eye, and I'm not sure, we don't know whether or not it was necessary. So I think there's a lot of words being thrown around, and I would really like, to your point, I'd like to see it all out in the open so we can see what happened. But, you know, from my perspective as a Georgia, as a woman, as a Republican, I'm all for making sure that everyone that can vote, that should vote, is able to vote and is voted properly, whether it's absentee, which my mother did when she was sick, regardless. But I think a lot of this rumor and speculation is is sent to fit a narrative of the national media that may or may not be true. One thing to, to, to keep an eye on, Bill, is going to be just the timing here. What, what, when do these? When does this congressional hearing, if it mm -hmm. does happen, when, when does it come to Georgia, and will it be while the legislature is in session, and will it? Ha could it? it might it have any, any impact on whatever legislation is going to be pitched through the through the uh, the Senate and House Governmental Affairs Committees? And we do expect that we're going to see bills move, at least get introduced, whether they move or not is another question, that address some of the problems. But, and, and, and you'll see a, you'll see a very, very uh, 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 detailed debate over uh, the purchase of voting machines mm -hmm. and what mm -hmm. kind of voting machines that are being purchased. And I'm assuming that that's, that's going to be one thing that some of these congressional hearings take up. Well, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised about that because people want to look to see whether or not there's any type of disparity in terms of the allocation of voting machines and whether or not that right. contributes to sort of right. the length mm -hmm. of the weight that you have in certain areas. Um, I think that there's enough here for the state and the federal government to be able to address all of these issues and to have buy-in. So I don't think one needs to cannibalize the other. There are certain things that the state does need to handle and the state does need to address. Um, you know, for instance, the state has to decide whether or not we make secretaries of state resign or accuse themselves from races in which they run. That's really not a federal matter for us to be right. attending to. Um, but they are, you know, the fact that the that, that the National Congress is going to provide oversight and to provide some guidance and to actually use whatever levers that it has in order to try to protect voting rights, I think that that's only a good thing. So uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's worth our conversation. H.R. Uh, 1, the first mm -hmm. bill uh, or the first resolution to uh, be introduced in the new 116th Congress, 
uh, is one that Democrats wanted to put forward. And here's what it does. It includes language seeking to make it easier for people to vote by instituting automatic voter registration, promoting online voter registration. Now, we should say Georgia already has online yes. registration. Mm -hmm. Kemp's people did put that in mm -hmm. place. It then goes on. It would outline that, That's mm -hmm. to the extent, really, to which that bill, at least, a resolution addresses some of the issues we've been worried about here in Georgia. It goes on to say gerrymandering should uh, be outlawed, and now independent commissions should draw uh, lines. Good luck getting that <laughs> through Congress. But here's what I think is really interesting, and I'd love to get your reaction to. There's also going to be an effort to restore some of the um, uh, mechanisms in the Voting Rights Act, which, which was outlawed by the Supreme Court in 2013. Section, section 5. Mm -hmm. And you know what's interesting about that, Jackie, is when we look back at what we struggled with for the entire year of 2018, um, we didn't talk a whole lot about the fact that had, if the Voting Rights Act were in place, some of these problems would not have happened. Well, it's, but, but I think it's, I mean, it's interesting to me. I think it's smart to your point that they address this first. I think that's been a national story in a, in a, in a variety of states. Um, and I do think there are some areas of agreement. Clearly, the, all the legislatures are not going to give up their ability mm -hmm. to draw the lines as they want to do that for the congressional districts. But in terms of, of looking back at voting rights, I think it's a, I think we have to be very careful because in some ways, the way you want to make sure you're protecting that all the citizens have access, regardless of where they're from or what they look like or anything else. I also think that we need to look forward a little more than we need to look in the past. And I just want to say that in a, in a way in which I think we need to look at what do we what do we want to be able to make sure people do versus what has happened in the future that may have been wrong, and how do we bridge that gap in a way in which it's helpful to the future, but doesn't keep reminding us and keep it pulling back us back into the past. And Bill, and Bill w w one thing we should uh, mention here uh, for, for 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 people listening and, and watching is, is Section Five is the the portion that was right. was o overturned by the Supreme Court, right. and this is this is specifically the part that that required. Uh, preliminary pre-clearance, pre preliminary right. federal approval for any changes right. in in voting laws in I think what seventeen states. Yes, and Georgia being one of the really right. crucial states yeah. in right. that exactly. effort. And so when you, you even when you close a precinct, you had to get pre-clearance for that. When you when you uh, right. when you uh, uh, change the hours of early voting or the days of early voting, that that requires pre-clearance. Exactly, which is why Michael, I'm suggesting it's interesting, and I sort of hold myself responsible that as we played out all of this in 2018, I didn't point out as often as we should have sure. that th that section of the Voting Rights Act would have been in play and would have helped prevent some of these problems. Yeah, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head <clears throat> with that. Um, because having that oversight, having the protections in place, uh, would do exactly what we asked them to do, which is, is basically to make sure that people's right to get to the polls are protected. And, and at, the, at the end of the day, that's what it's about. So when we saw things like polling locations being closed under whatever guise it may be, it definitely wasn't fiscal conservatism. Um, I, I doubt highly that it was, it was an ADA issue that caused the, the, the polling location to be closed. But, but at the end of the day, it was, it's about people being able to access polls, you know? Um, it, 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 Andra, one of the things that I find fascinating about this whole situation is that, uh, number one, John Lewis is expected to be a leader, according to Tamar Hallerman, Jim's colleague at the AJC, in trying to move forward a new voting rights provision. Um, the Supreme Court, when it issued its ruling in 2013, 
did say Congress could come back and look at a new version of the law that would pass constitutional muster, the Republican-controlled Congress chose not to do that. Yeah, I mean, and there were also, and there are lots of reasons for this. So even if they had, um, chances are whatever formula they came up with, President Obama would have vetoed, and then what would it have looked like for the first black president to veto a provision of the, uh, of the Voting Rights Act? So, <laughs> you know, there were lots of reasons for that, um, you know, for that not to be revised. I mean, look, the only part, the only reason why Section 5 was invalid was because the formula used to define who was covered under Section mm -hmm. 5 was ruled out of date, right? And so, um, you know, I don't agree with Justice Roberts' uh, uh, sort of sort of interpretation and ruling on that, but now we have to define sort of who gets covered by the Voting Rights Act. And so if they get through, get it through the House and they come up with a more modern interpretation of who should, you know, because they have a recent history of discriminating against people of color, um, you know, be covered under the Voting Rights Act, there's still a couple of challenges. You have to get it through the Senate. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm not sure that this could get through the Senate. And then there becomes a question of could you get it, could, would President Trump sign it if it were placed on his desk, right. knowing that it would now then bring in certain types of oversight yeah. that might potentially hurt, you know, some of his allies. And the, and the long chances of that, of, of all of that coming yep. coming uh, to fruition is, is I, I think, uh, one of the reasons why Stacey Abrams, the, the former Democratic candidate for governor, filed that federal lawsuit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's a 60-page lawsuit that's essentially uh, a substitution for Section 5. Jackie, uh, the way I, as I listened to Andra, I thought uh, this could be in the dictionary, everything she said, next to the term divided government, well, which is a world we're living in right now. Absolutely. And, and as I was listening to this, uh, you know, this discussion, I thought, well, first we have to actually get the government open again, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, this is all, I mean, like, this is all interesting, and, you know, it's all, I mean, obviously very important. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, we, we need to have voting rights and make sure people can vote. But we also, before we do anything, they got to figure out how do you open the government back up, yeah. um, which I know is probably the next discussion you're going to. But this is, this is what we got when we, this happens a lot when you have a president of one party, and then halfway through the midterm, you get something else. Because I think that people do like to have checks and balances, not only in the branches of government, but actually in between the legislature and the presidency itself. So, well, so let's do that. Let's Let's go ahead and talk about uh, the government shutdown. Um, as we uh, are on the radio live on Friday, and as people who are watching on TV will realize happened a couple days ago, uh, as, as this show went on the air, uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi had just come out of a second meeting uh, with President Trump, which I believe, Michael, he held once again in the Situation Room, <laughs> because this is serious stuff. Uh, and Schumer was quoted, say, quoted the president as saying uh, the government may be shut down for months or even years. He wants his wall. Yeah, I, I think, um, look, President Trump ran on this wall. He, he, and as far as he's concerned, he got elected because he stuck to the premise that he was going to build the wall. Now, whether or not Mexico pays for it, it seems that's something that's kind of gone by the wayside. Um, but I think, you know, his, his loyalists are committed to this idea of we have to have a wall. I don't even know anymore if it's, if it's for the security or national security, as some are trying to save this country, or if it's simply, you know, maintaining a campaign promise. And that, to me, uh, is, is the is a part that gets a little bit dangerous um, because we're we're veering away from what is in the best interest of this country and how are we how are we spending our dollars how are we spending taxpayers dollars and it's simply for a campaign promise it's not going to make this country any more secure or a process any better i don't see the reason for so, it so there is a really good discussion about the politics of this to be mm -hmm. had and i want to get to that 
But before that, Jim, I'd like to talk about the practical impact of this right here in Georgia. Um, there are as many as a million plus people in Georgia who take advantage of SNAP benefits, food stamp benefits. Those benefits are coming to an end very shortly. Right. 700,000 uh, households rely on them. Uh, the and 95 percent of the federal workers uh, who process those those food stamps have been declared uh, expendable. Yeah. If you would, uh, another another point is is just as we've been see, sitting here, I've been you know I, I keep track of my email. I have got a I've got a, a a note that says FEMA repair specialist to give advice at Walmart in Americas. This is this is Hurricane Michael. Uh, activity, and these FEMA workers are going out there, but they're not going to be paid. Well, and and we should point out that as long as the government is shut down and there's no funding mechanism, and talking about Hurricane Michael, emergency relief money that was earmarked mm -hmm. to come to farmers in Georgia, among many other uh, places that are dealing with emergencies, it's, it's stalled. Mm -hmm. Loans right. to farmers are being held back. And Andre, I, I read something really interesting in another way today, too. If this goes on much longer, if you're applying for a, a, a home loan, if you want to get a mortgage, IRS right now is closed. A bank cannot, a lending institution cannot verify your tax report records, your W-2 form. They're looking at the possibility you may not be able to get a mortgage on your house while this is ongoing. So that wasn't something I thought about. This morning, uh, an alert on my phone suggested that if you wanted to file your taxes now, that's great. The IRS will accept it. But if you're due a refund, you're not going to get it while the government is shut down. So yeah. if this thing went into April and people weren't getting their refunds, I think that President Trump would likely change his tone. And I think it's actually really important, you know, in a couple of weeks, you know, we're going to celebrate Martin Luther King Day here in Atlanta. This was a big deal because this is his 90th birthday celebration. You know, that's part of the National Park Service. So the things that people are used to doing on MLK Day, like touring his house or touring sort of old Ebenezer, right? I, I, I thought about that. I was like, well, is that stuff going to be open yeah. on, on, you know, on MLK Day if, if, if the shutdown is still going on? One big, one big date to <laughs> keep an eye on is January 11th. That's that's the next day that that's the day paychecks. that the paychecks are mm -hmm. supposed to come and won't. Galloway is knows this because his daughter, as we've talked about on the show before, works for FEMA. So that paycheck, mm -hmm. he knows when their paychecks come out. And, and we know when we might have to write, start writing checks. And as we all know, uh, normally when the when government is restored, they do get back pay. But to your point, Jim, there is no payment until that actually happens. As far as SNAP, my understanding is that actually we have funding through January, yes. if I read correctly in the agency, right. yeah. mm -hmm. actually we read do. it on AJC.com. Um, but in terms of a government <laughs> shutdown, I think here's really from a political, if you let me talk about yeah, the let's politics, talk politics of this. Now. Um, have, have, you know, having actually had someone in my family that, um, you know, was involved with the government shutdown before, uh, and I think has the longest record of 21 days. Gemma, you may know that. It better. is. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. So this, this is a real problem. I think both um, Trump clearly has a campaign promise, right? He said he's going to, you know, build the wall. And then you have Nancy Pelosi, who has been very clear that he will get no money. You have two people. It's a clash of two elections, too. But it's not. But it's not just elections because we always have elections. But the difference is when you have people that are used to going into a room and discussing how to accomplish something and what they can both get and they can walk out with winning something. 
then you get people that can compromise. When yeah. you get two people, neither of which has any interest in compromising, both of which are incredibly tough. I mean, Nancy Pelosi is very good at what she does. She's very tough. I don't see any inclination, at least initially, that she has any interest in negotiating with Trump in any way, shape, or form. Um, my suggestion to everybody is to, to sit back and just know that the two of these people have got to, until someone gets exhausted, whether from their own personal energy or from the energy of those around them, there's not going to be a lot of movement. Michael? You know, I, I spoke on the um, on the politics of it, so I, I'll go back now and talk about the, the reality of what's happening. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, and, and being a veteran myself, it actually, it actually caught me um, by surprise when I thought about it. The Coast Guard are, do not fall under the DOD. They fall under the Department of Homeland Security. Those hardworking people would not be paid. Yeah. I know that President Trump has, has done something to move in and try to make sure they get paid, um, you know, from a, from a stopgap standpoint. But we have to understand, right, the, the Army, Marine Corps, Air Force, Navy are getting paid. Coast Guardsmen are not. Ironically, who are actually tasked with keeping our borders safe and secure. Yeah. So, to me, it was a bit ironic that you're going to shut down the government over this over this wall and not pay the actual arms forces. I'm glad you put that. By the way, and so get you into this, Andra. Uh, 139,000 Georgians work for the federal government, and I'm assuming that and we have the seventh largest mm -hmm. contingent of federal workers in the country. I'm assuming that a lot of that has to do with our the mil huge military mm -hmm. presence here. But go ahead. But, I mean, it's also other things. I mean, you know, there's an SBA region here. Yep. There are mm -hmm. always all kinds of ways that the federal government is actually really entrenched in local communities in ways that I don't think we realize until they're gone. So my prediction, it's not really a prediction, but um, whichever uh, side in this ends up getting blamed the most for this. Um, and it's going to take a, a couple weeks for us to really sort of feel sort of who's going to get blamed for this the most. That's going to be the side that relents. And so that's where we have to have the compromise. Yeah. I think a lot of this is really unfortunate, you know, um, particularly for President Trump, whose promise, I think, you know, was incredibly rash, you know, and I would argue was, was, was racially motivated. He also made a promise that he unilaterally could not keep, right? So this is a promise that involved buy-in from an entirely different branch of government. And you can't promise that Congress Congress is going to go along with what you said. And I think, you know, he made lots of promises as though he were the imperial president. Um, and now he finds out that, oh, you actually have to build consensus. And he can't do that. But he's not actually teaching people along the way, like, hey, I tried, but like, you know, got to do this sort of checks and balances thing. Uh, and I need buy-in from other folks I, in order I, to I, I want to flag that. it. Something. We, we, we got to get to a break in a minute. But racially motivated. You're talking about... Uh, based on, say, the opening of his campaign, the way he described it. I just want to make sure I'm yeah. clear on that. Um, Jackie, Republicans would see that differently, obviously. I mean, my, my, the, the way I look at it, he looks at us at border security. Now, I can, we can discuss about how do you do border security in a way in which might or may not include wall or parts of a wall, mm -hmm. and was the nomenclature wrong when he actually made that initial promise. But if you look at what actually happened, I mean, the, the amount of drugs that comes in from Mexico is enormous. I think almost all of the heroin that comes in now comes in from Mexico. If you look at the number of deaths um, from drugs coming in from Mexico, they've They've, uh, I think they increased 500 times. So, five, I mean, so instead of you know, 500 times in the last eight years, we have a huge drug problem, a huge drug problem that we need to talk about. Now, whether that's building a wall or securing the, 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 the southern border. But, 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 but the drugs, the drugs are coming through major ports, ports. of entry. And we have a major problem with people coming through our country without going through the process. So I think we need to talk about what the facts are, and then we can talk about politically 
what does that mean in terms of how do you accomplish what you want to accomplish? Um, but I, I, I think, to your point, though, I think your point is exactly right. President Trump, if he wants to win this, he needs to actually, as Margaret Thatcher said, he needs to actually win the argument. And he can't do that by saying, I've got to have what I've got to have. But, right. she, but, I mean, but it's also learning that, aside from the port issue, there is this tunnel thing that you mm -hmm. can t completely, like, lie to wall by just digging under it. And we know that there is, you know, a really intricate tunnel system that, that, that addresses this issue. But it's when people explain to you, one, you can't have a wall across the entire thing because there are mountains and rivers, and that's not exactly going to work, and we need to do other types of interdiction, or we need to use drones, right? He's not sitting there and updating and saying, you know what, I had this idea when I was outside of government, mm -hmm. and I thought every Everything was easy. But now, American people, I'm learning stuff is harder. And now let's let me teach people sort of the things that I've learned and let me change. Because I think people are willing to have that mm -hmm. conversation and to compromise. But yeah, no, he's just doing histrionics and getting on TV and, 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 and blanking okay. themselves with border officials like, you know, who are sure. OK with this while everybody else is suffering and while there's trash I, on the downtown. I want to come back to this. We got to get to a break. But, Jim, I, I hear what everybody's saying at this table. Trump's the messaging here seems to me to be weak on both sides. For, mm -hmm. for Trump to say, I have to have a wall, that's the only way we secure the border. And, but on the other hand, for Pelosi to simply say, there will be no wall, that's an off, that message doesn't really tell me anything. I no, mean, no. The solution is the solution is going to be in the two words: border security. Mm -hmm. and, right, and, and that's my and, point. And allowing, and allowing it, mm -hmm. each person to define that as he. That's my point. Right. Every right. time I hear the speaker say "no wall, no wall, right. no wall," it sounds like an attempt to thwart Trump. She's not helping me understand in a more realistic way you know, in her messaging why Democrats are so adamantly opposed. I'd make this three words, comprehensive border security, right? Yeah. Because to, to, when you truly put this in the context of national security and keeping our people safe, it, it's a comprehensive solution that's needed across the across the board. That's exactly what uh, what Andre was talking about. But when you when you narrow this into just the wall. Well, mm -hmm. you know, we're digging in the hills on the Democratic side going, no wall, because a wall isn't the solution that we that, need. All right. I got yeah, to stop okay. this. I have now got a note from uh, senior producer Tom Faust, tossed to break, and it's got, I think, about 12 exclamation points. <laughs> <laughs> I have an idea. Let's toss to a break. We'll have more of Political Rewind in a moment. <laughs> A Seat at the Table is a weekly series hosted by Deneen Milner, Christine White, and Monica Pearson. The mission of A Seat at the Table is to let African-American women have a platform to educate communities about the black women's experience, life, and journey. Today, we're talking about using the N-word. Is a college education still necessary in today's world? Today, we're talking about what it means to be woke. From credit to entrepreneurship, black women are about our business. Join us for A Seat at the Table on GPB. To political rewind, uh, Jackie, uh, you want to make one comment, and then we're going to move on to another subject about this impasse on the wall and no wall. Well, I, I think we all agree a lot of it is the um, the nomenclature and what we're talking about. But back to when when Pelosi stands up and says no wall, 
I understand what she's saying, but the, but a lot of people when they that's, hear no wall, right. they that's think no border security. That, I'm not saying that's correct. Right. I'm just saying that's what they hear. So I do think they need to figure out how do they actually come together and do the which makes Democrats at least a little bit vulnerable to to the Republicans' uh, chant of they want open borders. Uh, that's my okay. Mm -hmm. Let's move on. Uh, we're gonna let's you know what? As long as we're talking about something in Washington. Uh, let's talk about the new Congress that was sworn in on uh, Wednesday. Andre, I want to start with you on this because it's been a pretty remarkable few days. First of all, we have 100 new women on Capitol Hill. We have two uh, Muslim women, one of whom has gotten in hot water very quickly, and we'll talk about that. We have two Native American uh, women. Um, it's just been a breathtaking change to watch unfold. How have you seen it? So it is a breathtaking change, but I think we should always point out that we're only halfway there. So with these new women <laughs> in Congress, Congress is on, the House of Representatives is only about 24 percent female. Yeah. Um, so we still have a long ways to go before women have actually achieved parity. But the House in the swearing in this week, yesterday, and in, in, if you're listening live, uh, it was astonishing to see America represented on the yep. floor of the U.S. House. Yeah, and so, and I think that that's really heartening. I think we should take that as a positive mm -hmm. sign. Um, you know, one of the things that you know I am concerned about is that it is actually very one-sided, um, and so that representation is almost exclusively on the Democratic side and not on the Republican yeah. side, um, and that actually portends trouble for the Republican Party long term. I know, Jackie, that you know this is something that you're aware of and, and are concerned about, but you know if we are actually going to start to approach proportionality, then we are going to have to see, particularly with respect to gender, greater representation for Republican women, and I think Republicans. Have have to do some what are you going to do, Jackie? About candidate recruitment yeah. and about their stances on certain types of issues that are actually repelling uh, conservative-minded women away from voting for Republican Jackie? candidates. Jackie, no, I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, I think Republicans should take, and I actually wrote about this two weeks ago. The Republicans need to step back and take a long, hard look and say, "What are we doing wrong?" I can tell you a couple of things. Is first of all, Republicans, and I think this, and I see this in a lot of areas, not just in gender, but uh, Republicans are, are, in my opinion, very um, notorious for, during the process, letting whoever wants to run kind of come to the forefront, and we'll just let it all play out, and, you know, and, and whoever the best person is a win, and it's all this lovely. There's not a whole, there's not that, that, that really methodical recruitment process to go out and look for people that might be good, who may, might not have thought about it, um, and I know we both know, mm -hmm. based on research reports, that women are less likely to decide on their own to run. I mean, that's a fact on both sides. So I think Republicans need to say, oh, gosh, every great woman that's qualified might not wake up one morning and say, wow, I think I'll run for Congress, that maybe they should be recruited. So I think we really need to take a hard look at that. I think secondarily, we really need to look and make sure not just for women, but that everyone understands that they're welcome in the Republican Party. And whether it's the party, whether it's the media, whether it's I don't know what it is, I'm not, I'm not blaming anyone, but the Republican Party, in my, in my opinion, has not done a good job welcoming everybody. I think that needs to be a very clearly communicated. Michael, oh, I mentioned the two Muslim women. Yes. Um, uh, Ilan Omar, mm -hmm. uh, who is representing a district in Minnesota, Minnesota. is a refugee from Somalia who yeah. was in a refugee camp in Kenya before coming mm -hmm. to this country. It, it, you couldn't ask for a more powerful image. And unfortunately, I think for Republicans, especially as led, they're led by Trump, a, 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 
a strange message at a time when we're when we're looking at closing down our borders. Yeah, you know, um, as mentioned earlier, I was I was there yesterday. I was on the hill yesterday. Um, I was there for a swearing in, and one of the most remarkable things I saw yesterday um, was all the women that were there in hijabs. All over the hill yesterday, um, in the all, all kinds of traditional garb. Yeah, yes, well, right. well, on top of that, it's like <laughs> tons of, of traditional garb. Um, and I had the had the opportunity to actually to actually meet the new representative. Actually, her door is only about three or four doors down from Representative Macbeth's. So um, it, it was it was amazing, kind of to walk along the halls um, where there was Longworth or Cannon or any of the buildings, and to see where all the buzz was. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, so obviously, right there in that corner between between uh, Congressman Macbeth and Oman's um, office, there were. There were lots of hubbub. There were lots of cameras. Uh, and then went over to the Cannon Building where um, uh, Oster Cortez, um, her office was. Line was down the hall and around the corner. It was it was fantastic. Okay, the yeah, but the other Muslim woman, Jim, you know, it kind of took a little bit of the joy out of the celebrations that some people were having about diversity. Rashida Tlaib, who was elected out of a Michigan congressional district got herself in trouble last night. She, uh, after being sworn in, went to a party and made a really profane comment, uh, an obscene comment about President Trump, said we got to impeach this and then you should... Uh, it was a Samuel most, Jackson phrase. About the most <laughs> awful, yeah. Uh, Nancy Pelosi defended her today. On Friday, Nancy yeah, Pelosi she, said, well, she didn't say anything worse than what Trump has said. I'm not sure well, that's a smart well, she, way she, to there, there was a hint of a, of, a, of, a, of a disagreement in there when she said, when she, said that, uh, that, uh, she, she looked at it from a different generational point of view, yeah. where that language wasn't, wasn't acceptable. But I think you've got, you've got new members coming in here who think they are operating on new rules, and actually the rules pretty much stay the same, yeah. and that is... He or she who gets mad first loses. Yeah, well, you know, I think Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who is the rage, you're just mentioning her, Michael, mm -hmm. on the Hill, youngest woman ever elected to Congress, uh, very outspoken, kind of got mm -hmm. a joyous mm -hmm. way about her, but she's already seen how much uh, you can put yourself behind the eight ball uh, when you decide to proclaim uh, new policies that you'd like to enact. You know, she's already had a little trouble there, but uh, we'll see how that develops. Well, I mean, you know, one of the things that's interesting is that when I first heard about Congresswoman uh, Tlaib's comments, I actually thought she said it on the, on the, on the congressional floor. And so, I mean, I think part of the reason why people are coming to her defense was that she said it, you know, offsite, you know, sort of at a party. And I think sort of the lesson of this is there's going to be a camera in her face for the next two years or for as long as she serves. Her district, she, re she has John Conyers' old seat. Yeah. She represents Detroit. I seriously doubt that anybody in Detroit actually cares about the comment. <laughs> but there is a really important issue about um, about decorum and yeah. about not creating a distraction mm. in order mm -hmm. to achieve the things yes. that you want to achieve. And so right. there are a lot of people who feel that way about the president. But this is really a moment where going high actually allows you to be yeah. able to do the work to make your point, as opposed to it just looking like a visceral ad hominem. Yeah, you know, Michael and Jackie both, I, does it do Democrats any good, whether you use profanity or not, to begin proclaiming we're going to impeach the president of the United States? Is that a moment you want right now, Jackie? Okay, so... Again, let me reflect back on my personal experience, sure. having gone through this, right, Jim's laughing. We can remind people who haven't been aware, your father is, is Newt Gingrich. Gingrich, who was Speaker, of the, Speaker House of the House under Clinton, right, during, right, so. Took a notorious plane ride on Air Force One. 
<laughs> yeah, but that was but that was not just so you know that was that okay. was not the reason. Okay, right. again, let's not jump to having been there. Um, but I do think there is some serious concern. If, if a couple of things, if you make it personal, and this was clearly a personal statement that she made about the president, it wasn't that she disagreed with. Maybe there are other reasons why, but the, mm-hmm. she didn't list the disagreement. She made right. it personal. If you make it, you know, very personal with profanity, I do think that's a problem. And I think secondarily, it puts you in a light where then to go back and talk about the policy issues and everything else makes you look like you really don't believe in those. You're just making it very personal. So I do think I'm sure that, you know, hopefully um, Speaker Pelosi took her back afterwards and said something to her about that might not be as helpful as you might have imagined. And but maybe not. But, you know, I mean, Washington is a place where you learn sometimes very, very um, strong things in very hard ways. We, we should point out that she was captured on a cell video. Oh, they're always yeah. trouble. But they're- Making a remark to a crowd. It isn't as if she went into a room, looked into a TV camera. Right. Nevertheless, right. the comment but, is the comment. But, but, Absolutely. But, 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 but here, on, on impeach, impeachment, you, you've, you have a number of House Democrats who have been elected on, on, the, on, 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 on claims that they're going to impeach the president. The problem is impeachment is a very cold-blooded decision right. that has mm-hmm. to be made. Right. And, and, and Republicans lived, uh, learned this in, in 94, that if you impeach a president and yeah. you, the Senate and two-thirds of the Senate does not agree with you, then you've yeah. wasted a whole They learned it, and, and, and Jackie's yeah. dad learned it in 1998 uh, when, when the effort to impeach Bill Clinton backfired and, and really cast Republicans into the wilderness. But it is. It really, we, we forget, but Jim's right. It's a trial of impeachment. So to go, you actually have to have evidence, which is yeah. very, very different than standing in front of a room and raising emotion. Michael, sure. you're, you're always thought of as kind of being a guy who offered The Democratic Party of Georgia thinks you're a pretty wise thinker. I mean, they wanted you to be the no, state party chair. Right there was a, no, not that. Not, not there, not there, not I mean, there's been a movement to get you to run for state party chair. Now that DeBose Porter's stepping down, uh, you've already, we talked about this on the show uh, in your absence, you've already said you're not going to do that. But what, what's your counsel for Democrats on the impeachment issue? You know, um, first of all, Mueller is not couldn't finish his investigation yet. So first and foremost, that's what I would say. Let the process play out. Let the evidence come to light. Uh, and, and then let's look and, and make the move. From a political standpoint, um, yeah, there's lots of candidates that, that may have ran kiltered much more on the fact that impeachment is something that needs to happen. And I'm going to go up there and, and raise enough noise to, to invoke that. Um, but it's a hard process. You guys have laid it out, right? It's not something we just snap our fingers and make happen. And we also know that it could very quickly get hung up you know, try and actually get it through. Um, but I think our, our, our representatives, especially some of our newer representatives, um, have to walk that line a bit. And when I say walk the line, I mean, they, you know, their progressive candidates are getting out there and go, time for changes now. Um, so, so we're not in this thing of, yeah, well, rules don't change. Well, some rules have changed. Right. I mean, now you can actually wear a hijab on the floor of the house. So, you know, day one rules are changing to some extent. So so I think they have to push the line a little bit. So my counsel would be, you know, to to be bold, continue to be innovative, um, put yourself out there because, look, not all attacks are going to stick. Yeah. So so be bold, be innovative and, and push those boundaries a bit. We're going to as, as we keep talking, uh, Mike Lukovich had a great uh, cartoon this morning that deals with the, 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 the remarkable change in the house. Why don't we show people uh, 
Andre, as you go ahead and make your comments. I, mean, I think I would say for, you know, any newcomer coming into any legislative body, you will be most effective if you learn sort of the rules and you learn to navigate things. So that's always true, whether in any organization that you're a part of. And so while I would never tell, you know, a new legislator, like not to be themselves, um, you do have to think about where you are and you do have to think about learning yeah. the rules. And you also have to recognize that your election got you a seat at the table. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It didn't mean that you actually got to run the table just yet. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, so for those who want a, a, a longstanding career, you know, it might make sense for them to put their head down, learn the rules and build relationships and learn to navigate things. And then they would actually be more effective. In so the long run. I, before we take our final break of the show, um, we just saw Lukovic's cartoon, A Woman's Place is in the House. Mm -hmm. So, you know, clearly a victory for, for women that, that so many have been elected to this Congress. I want to go back to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez for a minute. 29 years old, being a longtime incumbent in the House. She's feeling her oats. She's, there's no question she's, she's now proposed in terms of, you know, she wants to do a lot with the greening of America, eliminate carbon emissions in a decade. She's now proposing... Uh, or she said in an interview, maybe we should have a 60 to 70 percent tax on the wealthiest Americans to pay for the effort. That's probably not going to get very far. But she represents a spirit that, Jackie, I would think Republicans would be thrilled to be able to just capture a little bit of it. Here's a video that uh, some Republicans and some conservatives have been uh, sending out saying it represents exactly uh, the kind of... Uh, you know, misguided person. This is she's a socialist who this is, uh, is a high school student. College. She's yeah. a college yeah. student, yeah. College. a college student. And, uh, you know, QAnon, which is about as, you know, far to the right as you can get, started putting this video out, complaining about it. Uh, in fact, what it's done is caught on virally and it's made her an even bigger star. Uh, <laughs> but Jackie, if you know, if, if you're not going to demonize Nancy Pelosi, it, I don't mean you, <laughs> Republicans have been demonizing Nancy Pelosi. Are they now going to start demonizing this young woman whose spirit seems to reflect the kind of energy Republicans would love to find in their party? Like, oh, personally, I, I thought I thought the um, the video was fun. I mean, yeah. my daughter's in college. Quite honestly, I, th I think uh, if my daughter and her friends were, were dancing around, I'm just you know, at least she had on a long skirt and a, a top of sleeves, right? So she, I thought she looked really cute and fun. She's having a good time. Um, I think anyone should capture that energy. Now, you could talk about whether or not her the tax the tax plans at the high level, and I think what I saw was actually 83 percent. So I, I'm. I'm sure it was somewhere very high, um, but you know you can look at her policy separately than her than her than her her youthfulness and her energy and her enthusiasm. And to me, that's what's so important because once you get someone enthusiastic and engaged, if you actually can sit down and talk to them about what we can do, then maybe we can compromise. But I think part of what we've seen. Uh, and then I'll, I'll, I'll let you move on. But probably seen this, unfortunately, is both both parties have become more ideologically pure on both yeah. sides. Yeah. And what that means is there, there, are, there are fewer moderates in the center or, you know, used to have conservative, you know, Democrats or more liberal Republicans. And now that we don't have that, there's less room for compromise and less right. viewing the, the other, other side as the other versus someone like that. I got to get to a break. Uh, as I do, I'll show you. Uh, 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 she, uh, Cortez, uh, uh, tweeted out a response to all the hubbub about this. As we go to a break, let's look at what she said about the uh, video that's been uh, put out there. Do we have it? Well, I'll tell you what, there it is.
deal to be made there. It comes down to the vote. On this election night, two wins in the biggest races. You broke your silence. We move forward. But then you pay the price. When the smoke clears, you and I guess the world, that's what you told me. Just a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for me. We ride the highs and Calls for action after the school shooting in Florida. It's hard to say what motivated President Trump to threaten to veto this bill. What do they say about the use of these weapons? This is wild times. Wild times with big issues. Coming back to prison is not an option. All that and more. When the smoke is. Welcome back to Political Rewind. Jim, we talked about the uh, increase in the number of women in the U.S. Congress. Uh, Georgia, in fact, has a higher percentage now of women in the legislature than the U.S. Congress. 31% of the Georgia legislature is now female up from, I think, 20 percent just not that long ago. So things are moving uh, in an interesting direction here in Georgia, too. Right, right. And, and as Andrew pointed out, uh, the, uh, the the gains are all on the Democratic side, I think. Yeah. Mostly on the Democratic so, side. So, Andre, what, it, here in Georgia, mm-hmm. and for that matter in Washington, what does it mean to suddenly see a surge of women in elected offices in a legislative body? Um, is it a mistake to think that women will have different ideas about policies? Is, is there something sexist to suggest even that? I mean, what, what do we make of this? So it's kind of complicated um, <laughs> in terms of thinking about how women govern. So one, when you have greater descriptive representation, so, you know, when we see America reflected in our state legislatures, on our city councils, you know, in Congress, it does confer a certain sense of legitimacy that especially lets people who uh, would potentially feel marginalized feel like they have some buy-in if there are representatives there who kind of look like them. Um, that doesn't mean that those folks are necessarily going to vote the way that they would want to mm-hmm. vote, but it does mm-hmm. confer a certain sense of legitimacy on the institution. And so for that reason alone, I think it's helpful. The larger question is, do women govern differently yeah. mm-hmm. than men? And so um, it's mixed. So uh, my colleague at Emory, Beth Reingold, has done work on this at the state legislative level. And so, yes, women legislators, you know, do feel that, you know, um, that they have authority to talk about issues related to women. And so you might see that discussed more. But in places where you don't see it, and it is often you don't see differences in terms of how male and female legislators legislate, a lot of people will attribute that to institutional rules. And so if the rules are actually going to sort of conscript behavior, what you might see is female legislators conform to the norms of their institution and actually mm. sort of behave like men. And that doesn't necessarily mean that yeah. you get certain types of things. But then again, there's also other literature that suggests that, especially when you put women in leadership positions, that they might actually uh, try to build consensus more and that they might be more collaborative. So I'd say that, you know, there certainly is this desire to represent women's issues more to perhaps lead in a, in a bit of a different way, but that's mediated by um, by the institution and by the rules that are actually constraining what type of behavior Jack, and leverage they Jackie, have. Jackie, uh, Andra put her finger on something I wanted to ask about. Mm-hmm. The conventional wisdom, the thinking on this, is that women are more collaborative, more likely to be willing to compromise, to work across lines. Uh, <laughs> we're certainly not seeing that with Speaker, Speaker Pelosi. Pelosi. Right now. <laughs> but in any case, your take on this. But I, think, I mean, I also back to Andra's comment, I mean, Speaker Pelosi was, I mean, 
you saw the picture of her with President Kennedy when she was young, yeah. she's been around a very long mm -hmm. time. And so her, in terms of her, um, how she grew up in the political world and what she's used to, it's very different than what you would come in now, right, as a, as a new, a new um, legislator. I think a couple of things. The, the literature I've read, which I know is very limited compared to yours, um, did talk about more bipartisanship and building more of the relationships. So hopefully now, if there are more women, that you'll see more of that as well. You'll see more women reaching out and building relationships and working towards bipartisan um, you know, bills, et cetera. And the other thing I do think, even in business, I've noticed when I'm around other people around the table is you just think about things differently. So you may think about, you know, uh, if you're if you're working late, you know, can you actually go and get, pick up the children from child care? Mm. If you have someone, if you have an older parent and you have to worry about them, there are actually things that women deal with more often than men in our world currently um, that I think will give a different perspective to what's yeah, being talked about. And to, 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 to Andra's point here is is uh, several years ago, uh, we had a, in, in the Capitol a, 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 a bipartisan effort uh, among uh, Democratic and Republican women uh, that, 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 really, that really got behind health care in Georgia and, and uh, the, the required coverage uh, in insurance policies. Uh, uh, you know, they, they, because of these women, uh, mammograms were, were, were mandated. Yeah. Uh, uh, all sorts of all sorts of of, of uh, pregnancy was 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 covered. Well, that uh, and that has now in in the, in the polarized nature that we've we've fallen into in in the in the state capital, uh, that that alliance has fallen apart for a while. But you know what, Michael uh, Jim points this out. Who is it in the state senate who's taken the lead on many of the health care issues at the state? Mm -hmm. Renee Unterman, mm -hmm. a woman mm -hmm. represent yeah, a yeah. senator from Gwinnett County. I, I think it's important be, because. People, whether they're women, uh, minorities, people that were born outside of this country, are going to bring new perspectives or different perspectives into any body of legislation. So, you know, going back, talking about at, at the federal level in Congress, you know, and I, I think the report I read was 1989, they were 23 women in Congress. 16 of those were, or 13 of those were, were Republican. And this year, there are 102 women. But there's still only 13 yeah. Republican women. Yeah. I, I do think it's vitally important. I mean, going all back to the Constitution and, you know, we the people type things, right? Um, discuss about our, our founding documents. Um, it, the goal is to, to have people representing of all different uh, nationalities, different, different races, genders, creeds, so you can bring those collective perspectives in. Because, uh, as, as um, Jim said, if you, if you don't have those people there at the table, you know, they may not bring those issues up, so right. they're not being seen. I, I got We've only got about two minutes left, uh, and so I want to just take up one last thing that really relates to this, Jim. There's a lot of questions, and we'll talk about this in the show in the weeks ahead. How is Brian Kemp going to lead as governor? Is he going to stay to the right? Is he going to come to the middle? In this issue alone, talking about how women influence it is interesting that your paper had a front-page story today saying that uh, Governor like Kemp is going to deal with and improve how the state treats claims of sexual harassment, which we both know from our years down at the Capitol has been a, an issue beyond what anybody's even reported. So here's an, an opportunity for Kemp to reach out and say to women, I do have your back at least on this. A father of three daughters yeah. is who says, and, and, and what, what the AJC has found is, is that basically the state has no policy, no format for mm -hmm. tracking uh, uh, 
uh, sexual harassment claims or sex, sexual discrimination claims okay. in state government. And uh, uh, Governor-elect Governor Kemp has promised yeah, we'll to, to, to put goes. something in, in effect. You've got about 30 seconds. You want to weigh in one more time on all this? Well, I think one of the important things to think about is that institutional constraints matter. And so if you're looking for women to be more collaborative and assume that that means bipartisanship, well, it's really hard if you're looking for sort of, you know, sort of cross-party but same-gender type of collaboration <laughs> yeah. when there aren't Republican women to work with. Mm -hmm. And again, the rules matter and the constraints and norms that are already existent, those take a long time to <laughs> Rebuild. And so I think we should, you know, just watch with bated breath. Honor Gillespie, a last word on today's show because we're completely out of time. Uh, Michael Owens, Jackie Gingrich Cushman, Andrew Gillespie, and Jim Galloway, thanks for a really great um, uh, conversation today. I, I learn something from you all every time I sit down and do the show, and that makes me very happy. <coughs> Uh, thank you all for uh, being with us. Uh, we're back again on Monday at 2 o'clock with a brand new show. And by the way, a week from Monday, we're going to be bringing to you the full inauguration of Governor-elect Kemp. Jim Galloway is going to be at my side as we talk through uh, that big day uh, in uh, Georgia. I'm Bill Nygut. We'll see you again on Monday. <laughs>